Welcome to Design Your Life, the podcast where we explore applying design principles to everyday life. I'm your host and founder of Frost Collective, Vince Frost. My guest today is a brilliant Saskia Havikus, founder of the iconic Sydney flower shop, Granda Flora. While the shop still flourishes, Saskia has an international reputation, not only as a florist, but as an author and a creator of fragrances. The Grande Flora aesthetic has influenced interior styling, hospitality, fashion, editorial, and even the modern ritual of giving and displaying flowers. Saskia does not arrange flowers, she creates them. Drama and scale are her signatures. From an artful posy to a full-scale installation, Saskia is always searching for the chance to sculpt beauty out of the bounty of nature and the immutability of seasons. Grande Flora is still located in Potts Point, and Saskia, after 25 years, can still be found hand-picking her flowers before dawn at the Sydney flower markets. Hey, Saskia. How's that? That's a lot better. Is that a bit more improved? It's improved massively. Oh, good. <laughs> Terrific. That's what we like to hear. We're yeah. all for improvement. Yes, we are. We're all we're all good. Even in small increments. Yeah. Spins. Incremental. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Very good. Minuscule, minuscule in- incremental improvements. Yeah, that's cool. There's a there's a catchphrase for this time. Oh, there is. Um, how yeah. co- how cool is it that your daughter's there answering the phone too? I think that's awesome. I know. Well, she's been here for a while now. Yeah. She must be coming on three years, I think. Oh, okay. All right. So she's she's well uh, into the business. My son, he's Lu- ensconced. Yeah, my son Luca, he's about uh, 21, turning 22 next month, is working in the business too, and it's really cool. You know, you, yeah, me- you, you, make- you remember when they were little kids, right? And you have no, oh idea, my God. no idea oh that my- they'd ever be useful. Yeah, no, it's very, um, it's a big adjustment in the beginning. I think it's quite odd, like the realigning of the relationship. But yeah. when, once you get through that, it's yeah, I think it's very beneficial. It's very reassuring to have somebody that you know so well around yeah. you. Yeah, really a nice feeling. Yeah, yeah. Most what? mornings I look forward to seeing her. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Most mornings. Does she keep you honest? Does she keep on your case? Oh, it's the other way around. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I've got to crack the whip. Okay, all right. Well, that's... Um... Nice challenge to have. Um, it's actually, we're talking about families. It'd be good to kind of talk about your childhood. Um, you don't have to go into great detail, but obviously, you know, you come from a creative family and just really interested to in see how that influenced you growing up. Well, it did have a huge influence, always does every day, in fact, in my work, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, my father was a very creative man and my mother was creative too. But she supported him really in his art career. So he was a painter and a sculptor and a ceramicist. And we, I grew up with my two sisters in a beautiful um, pottery and and painting studio. So it was it was vast. It was very big, and it ran across um, like a precipice. It was our house was cantilevered over a valley. Oh wow! And a beautiful Australian bushland. I think we had about 35 acres in Kenthurst, which is just near Dural. Yeah. Um, and so our day was, you know, we were just submerged in, in the bush really all day when we were little children. We were always in the garden and mum helped 
train us and teach us about, you know, plant names was a game that we used to play on the way into the city when we'd come into town for a meal or to meet gallerists or friends or whatnot. A lot yeah. of creative um, European people that my father would hang out with. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we did, we, we did have um, lots of people would come to visit us. So we had big open house every weekend. Everyone was welcome to come and eat a big paella or goulash or whatever was on the barbecue. And um, the children would all come along too. And they'd, a lot of them were from dad's clients or friends and they, they would play with us. And we'd had like a big gaggle of kids that we'd all run around and wow. adventure into the bushland. But um, yeah, my dad's work was a big influence always. He was very hardworking and he was always cutting tiles in the pottery or painting a painting or creating a beautiful um, mural and we would help at times and just watching him mix his glazes and his trials and errors. So he had a lot of those, which um, which I have too. So, you know, <laughs> reassuring when you know that yeah. someone else that you were so close to has has exhibited those kind of triumphs and pitfalls um, and growth. So, yeah, I think he sort of set a template for me not to be too afraid of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. It's just, just that sounds idyllic, the, uh, your upbringing. And I just think in terms of, you know, it sounds like your family, your dad, your mom were incredibly social, like having people around. And it sounds, oh, you know, you're very. you're very much like that too, right? I mean, in terms of your shop in Potts Point and having so many people come in and out and, you know, it's a very social. Yeah, I think, I think it gave me that um, that sort of, yeah, the, the way to 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 try and always make people feel like they are welcome and comfortable and that's in my mind all the time to try and create a connection with people as as a, sort of as efficiently and as quickly as you can because people vary and I think the more experience you've had you can tap into that quite quickly so it's um, important to find out where those people are at when you're trying to create a beautiful mood or a beautiful bunch of flowers or a suggestion of what they're trying to say to mm. another person or in an event. Um, so it's quite psychological in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, and people skills, you know, it's not something that you can't tire of quickly. It's something that you need to mm. feel you really want to do and you enjoy and and that you, you like that kind of communication continuously in your life. Mm. Were flowers always part of your, were always on the table at home and, and in the events that you guys, having people around and stuff? Was that part of um, the ritual? Not so much on the table at home. We did have little things here and there, but mostly in the in the landscape. So the front of our house where you walk, where you can't, was a very unusual artist sort of studio. So we actually grew up in a bit of a community where there were a lot of other artists that lived around us. And we had seven cabins around the house too that we, um, leased to p different people and families, creative people. So they were all around. But mostly just um, as you walk down to the house, which was quite a long pathway, um, a kind of meandering pathway with my dad's sculptures and various sort of ceramic pieces and a beautiful pond, like a raised, um, mm -hmm. a raised sort of fish pond. Um, there were lots of really more... Englishy kind of flowers in that garden. So we had beautiful scrambling roses across the front of the, the house where you walked in and lots of little violets and buttercups and water iris and that sort of thing as you walked in. But then when you got into the house, there were all these windows that looked out to the valley and you could see, you know, the Australian and gospel trees and flannel flowers and 
the beautiful little um, grevilleas and things like that that were very much the Australian bush. So there were little, lots of little honesty stores as well where we grew up and I had a little pony. So I used to go off on my own. I can't believe I did this when I look at my own children. I used to go off for riding all day on, um, you know, when I was only about eight mm. down the fire trails and just with a little saddlebag with a snack and a, you know, water bottle. Oh. And I loved being in the bush just with my horse, who was my best friend. And um, I really loved just to look at nature and how, you know, how that really inspired me all the time. So, yes, we did have, we were very submerged in nature as a form of inspiration. My father didn't paint um, flowers, but my mother's family did. Yeah. So all of her, all the women in her family, her aunts and her, you know, grandmother and her mother, they all painted, um, you know, beautiful uh, still life of, of flowers. So mm. we would always see those when we'd go to their places and, you know, always really loved. I know there's a beautiful portrait of my great-grandmother with a big corsage of violets and um, those sorts of things, you know, that as you would know after so many so many years, all those things are layers of influence, I think, in your work mm. and in your existence. It's a like a kind of, you know, layering of um, experience that filter into your and hopefully stay in your sort of psyche and they they get pulled forward when you need them. That's how I always, you know, the little honesty stores too around the area used to sell yeah. little posies and cut flowers. And when I'd go past those on my horse, I'd always think, you know, how charming, like masses of poppies or mm. beautiful arum lilies and um, little honest bunches, bunches of, you know, with the Italian growers, some of geranium and that sort of um, that sort of thing, selling tomatoes. And you just, you get a feeling from, the character of that, I think, if you if you're observant enough and perceptive enough, it does it does sit with you really forever. Yeah, it's interesting. I was, the next question was going to be, how did you discover your love of botany? But I think you've just expl- explained it very <laughs> thoroughly. But I mean, we're all surrounded by plants and you know nature, etc. Even in the cities. But it's funny how I mean, some people just don't see it; they're not aware of it. But you were acutely aware of. Of that, I guess your family's focus on it made a huge influence on you. Yeah, I think as well, it really filled me up. You know, it's something that still does. Like every single flower and leaf and pod and branch and berry that I touch, it really every every time it, I feel the magic. I know it sounds really corny, but I feel the magic go through my fingers and into my mm. existence, like through my lungs and through my eyes and through, um, you know, through every part of me, I just feel like it's very therapeutic and I never, ever cease to to um, to have an appreciation for that, to be so thankful that we've got so many beautiful things to, to really be inspired by, the shapes and yeah. the colours and the textures and, you know, nature is just blows me away every day. Like we have a bit of a joke in here where we say, you know, who was on the art department this day when this was created, like a guy, Mia Lily or... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a beautiful protea or some flower that's just really abnormal or particularly stunning like a peony. You think, God, how did nature pull this out of the soil? And, you know, that little seed that has, has produced such an amazing flower. Um, and that's what's in my mind all the time. I never, ever cease to feel that or think that every day. Every single it really day. really is what pulls me through. Yeah, amazing. I just think, you know, we're so fortunate to be able to marvel at nature, you know, and really be able to um, to use it as a source all the time. 
And how did you, you know, going from your your childhood upbringing to eventually being in Potts Point with your shop, Grandiflora, what was, how did that come about? <laughs> well, that, yeah, that's an interesting um, trajectory. What, what happened was I was at, I went to a Rudolph Steiner school, which was also a huge influence in my, in my work. Um, and that was out at Glen Haven. So we did a lot of really creative um, artworks and, we did a lot of planting by the moon and, you know, with, um, with, their, with the Steiner philosophy. Mm-hmm. But we, um, when, I, when I went, I ended up going to a state school, which was very confronting after leaving the Steiner school, yeah, which was incredibly nurturing and, you know, very abstract. And so it was a big jolt. But further along the track, when I sort of caught up with all of that, I decided that I really wanted to get into advertising. That was going to be my thing. So from year 10... Um, onwards, I was determined that was that was where I wanted to head, mm-hmm. and um, and so I've worked out my own two work experiences, and I had a great time, and really felt like I found my niche, mm. and found eventually found a job when I left school to to go into a small agency over in Milton's Point, mm-hmm. and they had a great department. I've moved around a bit because it was such a small. Um, agency. I got to work with the creative director in the art department, and we had a PR wing. So I did a lot of ordering of massive flowers because in those uh, days it was, you know, the eighties, and we did yeah. lots of product launches, and and it was fascinating. I couldn't believe there was a beautiful florist in Double Bay at the time called Robert and Sophie, mm-hmm. and um, they produced the most amazing work, and it was just jaw dropping when it would come through the door. I'd be like, oh my god. <laughs> These are just so mood changing and really created such a great ambience for, for the for the people to come in and enjoy and um, and to get a message sort of across of whatever we were launching. Yeah. Um, and when when I was working there, I met my first husband. So um, he was a TV personality in Australia, um, Gordon Elliott, and he used to come and do all our voiceovers because there are a lot of sort of high profile clients that utilise the agency. Um, and in those days, you know, you have the big corporate videos, et cetera. And so he used to come and hang around my desk. And I did know him, in fact, because he was friends of people that bought our family home. And he eventually asked me out. And then we ended up moving to New York together. And when I um, was in New York, I worked um, a bit for, in the art world. And I did, we did a lot of entertaining. So we had, had some pretty interesting friends. Um, and sort of from there, I got very obsessed with flower shops. So we used to travel a lot, Gordon and I, all over the place because a lot of America, in fact, because he did, he worked for a current affair. So he had um, a lot of travel opportunity and I used to go with him as his assistant. Mm-hmm. And we'd go to all these weird far out places. Plus, we'd travel to Europe. So wherever I'd go, I'd sort of try and tap into flower shops and, and what flowers were cultural. And I just loved. Any flower shop, the smell of the flower shop and the people—they're always—they're always usually pretty nice people in flower shops. Yeah. Because I was living so far away from home, and I was pretty young—I was only twenty when I left and went over there. Mm. Um, so I used to really sort of hover uh, around the flower shop near where we lived too. We we first lived up on East Eighty Eighth Street, and then we moved down to Tribeca, which was fantastic, and there were lots of beautiful floral studios down there. And I sort of became a bit of a loiterer. So I used to even send them postcards when I was traveling to sort of say, you know, here I am and I'll see you when I get back. 
they probably just rolled their eyes. But um, I loved going in and seeing what they were making and what the what the atmosphere was like in there. And anyway, I knew I was very drawn to it. And Gordon and I separated, and I came back to Sydney, and I thought, right, that's it. I'm going to do something that I really feel passionate about, which is flowers. Mm-hmm. And my sister at the time was um, doing a course at TAFE for 13 weeks full-time. They don't have that course anymore, unfortunately, because it was fantastic. So I joined her. And it wasn't really – I mean, it was a great course because I got to do some work experience there and I, um, with various florists that I, I found myself. And I, I did – go to the flower market, I learned a lot about flower care, but the design part was left me a bit high and dry. So I sort of looked around for a mentor mm-hmm. who I found in Alison Coates and um, she always rolls her eyes and groans whenever I say that, but <laughs> she's my mentor because she still is my mentor and I'll never stop saying that. Mm-hmm. But um, I found I found work with her and I did work with lots of different florists. I, I worked on many weekends for Nothing, I was more than happy to do that. I worked for a hilarious florist called Lena Maloof who used to do huge, big, theatrical, um, crazy ballroom decorations. Very, like she used to buy in all these ostrich feathers from Oklahoma and she'd have all the dancing lady orchids in big fountains out of the middle of the tables. And I I learned a lot about events working with her Mm. because it wasn't necessarily my style of flowers at all, but I just loved the scale. Yeah. And I loved her, I loved how bolshy she was, and she was terrific with customers. She was really great with the client. She's very good at um, talking up a concept and kind of getting people <laughs> to believe that she could pull it across the line, which she did do. Yeah. Um, but I really learnt that from you know initially from Lena. She was like she was very famous at the time. She used to do a lot of work at the Four Seasons, which I think was the Regent then. Mm-hmm. So we're in and out of their ballroom all the time, and I I was happy just to be you know. Running, a lot, running along in her wake because I felt that I could really, you know, learn a lot from her. And um, I helped her with a lot of her – she has had little classes that she'd give to, um, you know, groups of people. So I used to help her set up all of that and be her assistant. And, and then Alison, I, I gravitated towards her style. Of course, she was an absolute forerunner and still is. She's very amazingly creative. I, I really could – I'd be pushed to say that I knew anybody else really in the world that is as incredibly creative as Alison, wow. especially with flowers and with ready found, um, you know, ingredients from nature. She's mm. doing more sort of sculptural work now. But I worked with her for five years and then she, she kind of wanted to change her business and, you know, do more sculptural pieces and she had two little children. So I departed there and I had a, a friend, Eva Feltner, German florist, who wanted to open a shop with me and we did find this beautiful little place down here in Potts Point, which mm-hmm. um, I always love this end of the city and the sort of Paris end of C.D. King's Cross. And we found the last shop on the right-hand side before you go down to the Navy yeah. and people were like, are you crazy? There's nothing happening down there. Um, but the Maclay Regis, who, who owned the shop, is the building, Art Deco building above us, were keen to have a florist here. So we had to go through a very stringent process of um, interviewing. Mm-hmm. And they gave it, you know, they said, yes, we want you in there. And we just started the two of us, Eva and I. We did the renovation ourselves. So we were on our hands and knees, chipping at the concrete floor and painting and paint stripping and mm-hmm. got the, the workbench in and we just, built our reputation really by our window, so our displays that we 
we would put in the window because it's a thoroughfare from the city to the eastern suburbs. People would stop. We always had beautiful flowers out on the street, which we've become pretty famous for. And um, they'd just stop and ask for our card and find out a bit about us. And we just built our business really by word of mouth. Mm. Um, and that's, yeah, that's, 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 <laughs> that's it in a nutshell. Well, what happened to your sister? Did she, she studied uh, to be a florist as well, right? Yeah, my sister Inika, she is the in-house florist at Government House in Hobart. Oh, wow. So, and she does a little bit of private work. So she does yeah. some, some weddings and from home. But um, her, her job mostly is picking from the garden at Government House. It's the most beautiful location. And she has about, I think it's four or five floors of flowers. And I've been there and helped her a few times. She's got a beautiful floral um, workshop down in the very in the basement of Government House and it's a, you know, lovely cold sandstone mm. room um, and that's what she does. She goes in there a couple of times a week and she does their events and she does their flowers for the house and, um, yeah, that's her okay. her yeah. work. And She's the... actually a painter, Inika. Oh, really? A very, very gifted painter but she has a family and she has put that on hold probably for too long. We're always trying to encourage her to get back to it. Mm. But she's a beautiful florist. She's more traditional than I am. Mm. Um, but she yeah, she has a real love of nature, as do we all. My other sister photographs flowers, so she's she's more a photog- she's a wow. photographer. But, um, yeah, that's the three of us. That's incredible. And I think that obviously that anyone who's been to your shop, it's just the incredible smell, the beautiful smell that comes out of there. It's just to die for. <laughs> I mean, it's just, oh, well, it's like, it's a, it just, oh, the moisture is the smell, the rich, sweet smell, um, the well, colour. It, it is a very distinctive, um, in general, flower shops have got a, a smell that people kind of recognise when they walk close to the shop, they can usually smell, oh my God, that must be a flower shop. Um, and I know that smell when I'm not around it, but I, I'm around it too much, so I sort of lose the sense of what a flower shop smells like unless I'm away from here for a while, which mm. is not very often. But we have created um, our last perfume, which is our sixth perfume, which is still yet to be released. It's a little bit held up at the moment in France because of the whole um, everything slowing down. Mm. But it is reminiscent, the fragrance, of our shop mm-hmm. in particular mm-hmm. um, and probably flower shops in general. But one of the, um, the notes, that I worked on with my perfumer, Christophe Laudemile, who's an amazing, young, dynamic perfumer, French, and he works out of New York and um, Berlin and uh, Japan now. We really wanted to depict the note petrichor, which is a, um, I don't know if you know, but it's the smell of, it's the smell just before it rains. So it's a, sort of something I really remember from my childhood. So just before it rains, you get this beautiful, wet, kind of moist, um, soily kind of almost like soil and rock with water mixed together. Mm. Um, and that we do have a note of that in our in our perfume with a top note of gardenia. Mm. But um, yes, that's sort of a combination of the in the shop with the concrete and the water and the wood. You get a little bit of a sense of that when you walk in here. It's kind of Everything, isn't it? <laughs> like, <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, and it, it's, I'm really, really happy with this perfume. Mm. And dare I say, it's my namesake. 
so they've called it my name. So it's called Sakia, ah. and it's my last perfume. Okay, yeah. well, and why is it the last one? Have you, have you given up? Um, up? Well, I feel, <laughs> I feel like I've got a range of six when that one's released, mm-hmm. and I've been working on my perfumes for, I think it's nearly nine years now. I can't wow. believe it. Wow. Um, or eight, eight and a half years or something like that. So I just feel like I'd like to do more kind of auxiliary product with it now. I've got mm. the range of six, which is a really good, solid range. Um, and I'd like to, yeah, do do other things with it now because, um, you know, making a perfume is such a unique experience and it's very, it's very, um, it's very revealing of, you know, your taste and your style, I think, as well. And I, I don't think it's something that I could just do over and over and over again, sort of forever. So it's got a period of, of, of a life, which is sort of the six, feels like that's complete to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot, of the, a lot of the capturing of the fragrance is about capturing those transient flowers as well. So most of them are quite like the Queen of the Night, which is a night flowering cactus only flowers for a couple of hours once a year in the middle of the night. Um, the magnolia flower, which is where we started our journey with our fragrances because I really wanted to bottle that flower. It's my most favourite flower. Mm. Um, the magnolia grandiflora is very much our our brand identity. So mm. I wanted to get that, you know, to be a more permanent thing in a bottle. And um, that's where, where I started with Michael Edwards, who's a fragrance historian. Um, and he put me in touch with my first perfumer because, you know, to be a perfumer is really, to be a good one, it would take you at least just at a start 10 years of solid learning and experience to to develop your olfactory um, library and the skill, you know, it's also a, a chemistry-based skill to write a formula. So when you make a perfume, you you write it as a formula and it actually is kept in a vault. A lot of people don't know this, but um, a perfume formula is sacred and it's really something that sits between the perfumer, perfumer and the manufacturer of the, the base oil that mm. puts, you know, that's put together in a, in a, in a laboratory. Yeah. Um, so I, I, did, I could not have the time to, to have those skills. So I've always worked closely with really, well-known perfumers, and we've had some amazing um, people and experiences with that. They've been blowing me away. I can't believe who we have met on this journey and who who have been so generous to us. We've had incredible support. Our first perfumer, very sadly, um, was a very good friend of mine. We ended up being incredibly close, and she sadly passed away. She was about my age. She had contracted cancer, and she, she passed away at that before she did pass away, she passed me over to the people who trained her. So they are the Rudnitska family. And Edmund Rudnitska created Osavage, Dirissimo, a lot of the really um, very, very prominent perfumes of, of the world. And mm. he's really perfume royalty. So he he's like God. If you mention his name in the perfume world, people are just fall over and <laughs> can't believe oh. that you've ever even met him. So his son, um, his son worked with us on on two of our perfumes, mm-hmm. and um, and we've been to their property, and that's where our oils are made with them. So they're an incredible um, source for us. So all, are all fragrances uh, perfumes from flowers? 
No, some of them are, um, you know, chemis- chem- chemically constructed. So some of the notes are not actually extracted from a from a flower. Mm. So it's um it's a construction that is yeah it's made of various different things to to produce that particular per- the perfume of that particular um, thing. It might not be a flower. It might be something else. You know, you might be trying to create the smell of rubber or the smell of yeah. um, wax or um, the smell of coffee. Yeah. So, yeah. Where do people get, how can people get a hold of your fragrances? Um, well, we sell them through the shop. We sell them online. We're also with um, Lee Matthews and we have big distributors. We've got a, a distributor here now. So he has helped us sort of push further afield with um, different uh, stockists in all over Australia. So in um, in Melbourne and with Peony and various, they're all on our um, website on our um, stockers page. But we did get huge traction, was amazing in Italy. So I have braved it and literally just taken a suitcase myself. I can't believe mm. again that I did this, but I went and did um, a couple of exhibitions. So one in Milan and um, actually two in Milan and one in Florence. And I. I did a beautiful um, stand each time. So I would go to the flower market myself in the area and I would just gather up what I thought was depicting whatever perfume we were launching or the stand we were trying to create and I would make my own exhibition out of that and just had, you know, some of the lovely Grandiflora girls met me there that may have been travelling or living overseas and we did a like a happening actually and I think because we were Australian and we were just so... <laughs> kind of fresh and gullible and uh-huh. um, giving it a go, people were very responsive to who we are and who we were then and what what we were, you know, what we were putting into the marketplace. And especially um, in Italy, the, the niche perfume is incredibly popular and they love the Queen of the Night, which is the night flowering cactus. It's a very large operatic fragrance. And um, I worked with a beautiful perfumer, Bertrand Duchafort, and he he helped create this incredible um, rendition of the flower. And from there, we got great uh, traction with the distribution. So we have um, an agent over there now, and he, he really helped us get into a lot of... We're in 50 stores in Italy. Oh, so that's cool. that really helped give us a leg, a leg up because obviously, you know, we sold a lot of perfumes over there, which gave us more capital to to expand our range and to do a little bit more um, with what we wanted to do and and yeah to get that traction some good press and just um yeah some more some more acknowledgement in different mm. parts of the world oh well done that yeah. is so cool i mean i think it's it's interesting when you think of flowers because you just naturally think that they um you know they appeal to the senses of course and you know the you think smell uh, predominantly, but it actually is everything, isn't it? It's touch, sight, uh, well, that's, smell. That's, yeah, I mean, they, they when I go out to the market, it's such a tonic because you just have such a sens- sensory overload. I know you came out there once with oh me my before. God. Yeah, half asleep. <laughs> but that was cool. You know, we were doing the, the book together, your um, Flower Addict book, which was published in 2015 um, with Julie Gibbs and uh, yeah. Pen- Penguin Lantern. And it was, I think, I can't remember what time it was. You said, hey, let's go, let's go there. Was it four or something? Yeah, four o'clock. 
Yeah. And you were just as kind of bright and bubbly as you are now. (laughs) (laughs) Delirious. uh, (laughs) Usually Uh, I'm just full of delirium. Yeah. But is that something you do like every morning or is it like a few times a week? No, I go, I do go three times a week. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I go and for an extra day if we run out of materials or occasionally I'll get a courier to bring some extra things in. But, um, in general, I go Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and I do get up at sort of, you know, quarter to four yeah. and dump in the van and away I go. And I'm pretty pretty remote control about it now, but after doing it for more than 30 years, wow. so I'm part, I'm part of the family out there and it really does feel like that. It's, it's abnormal for me not to be there. So um, only if I was traveling or whatnot, I, I wouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. But um yeah, I feel a lot, quite a lot of the growers are from around where I grew up too. So we sort of feel like we had, had the same soil. You know, mm. we grew up in the same soil. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and yeah, I just, I just find it so intoxicating. I swear to God, I never tire of it. There must be something wrong with me. But I just, <laughs> every time I get through that big roller door where I pull up my van because I've got a permanent spot, I just think, how, how incredible is this? Because every market's different too. Yeah. Like, there's, I've never been to a market at in Sydney, flower markets, where I've thought this is really bland or nothing much here. I or even when it is, and during you know during the COVID time, there's been markets that were very depleted, like um, unbelievably depleted. Maybe like the early days when I started a long, long time ago, where there was just you know a few buckets of this and that. But I found that quite refreshing to. Um, having to be sort of fighting for flowers again and having to pre-order a lot and having to get out of there a bit earlier and really, you know, drive a bit harder to um, to get the goods. Um, I have also been able to very fortunately pick up direct from my growers So yeah. um, because I have such long-standing relationships. And these are people that I feel like I've grown up with. I mean, one of my growers put, and I just feel so honoured when I can say this, that they put, Magnolia trees, they planted them when I first, you know, started my business. Uh, they're probably watching what I was interested in. And those magnolias now, you know, I'm able to go out and, and pick with them. Um, and it's, that to me is, that, that's what I would call true luxury or real exclusivity where you, you know that you're not, there's probably only another one or two florists that would be invited to be able to do that. So it's really, it's really such a privilege for me to walk around with them and say, you know, can you cut me that branch or can I have 10 of those? Or And they, you know, get the handsaw out and cut, cut it down and put it on the little Kabuta, um, you know, trolley and tractor it up to my van and in it goes and I drive back to the city. There's not a lot of places in the world that I think florists could say they'd have that kind of privilege. Mm. Um, so sound, it sounds feel. like when you go to a restaurant, when they come around the table and say, oh, well, today's special is, it's like <laughs> you've, you've got something that's yeah. kind of just landed and that's kind of unique. I mean, is it, is it always something? Well, it's, it's at the moment out there, they've got this huge sort of area that, of flowering white winter magnolia and it looks truly like you've died and gone to heaven. To stand in the middle of that is, it's so sublime. It's just, I can't even think of anything else that would could make me feel like that, to stand in the middle of that mm. patch. Um, so it's very honest and it's very uplifting. You know, you just feel like you, 
you are in a whole a whole nother world really, surrounded by this cathedral of white magnolia. Yeah. Um, with guess... fresh air and beautiful grass beneath your feet and yeah, it's it's really it's really um yeah, a privilege. That's how, that's the best way I can describe it. I guess like an artist or like a chef, it's the ingredients that are important, isn't it? I mean, I guess it, it, other people could get the same ingredients on the day if they turned up, but it's what you do with it, which is the magic, isn't it? Well, I think with those sort of um, those sort of flowers and branches and, you know, it's always the simplicity, isn't it? But it's the way you you keep that simplicity. So some people overload it and some people know when to stop. It's like that sort of Coco Chanel thing, isn't it? She always said, put on, put everything on and then take, always take a few pieces of jewellery off before you leave. It's that balance of you've nailed it, isn't it? You, you haven't over, you haven't overdone it and you haven't underdone it. You've just, you've just given it its absolute moment to shine. And that's how I feel about my flowers. I feel like I'm the conductor in a way. I'm, yeah. I'm just a, I'm just a conduit. I'm the person, I'm the, the hands and the eyes and the hopefully the brain or whatever else the senses that says um, this is what will work or this is how to make you look the most beautiful you can look. So without too much distraction or without too much tampering or um, without putting it in the wrong vessel or at the wrong angle and that's that's the game I play in my head all day every day and it and it's like a Rubik's cube like I'm just constantly questioning myself should I should I pull it forward should I push it back should I put it to the right should I twist it a little bit more and that's with every single bloom that I touch that's so not just once a day or um, every week or it's every single bloom that I touch all day I have that process going on in my head mm-hmm. and it's yes is it it's just relentless isn't it that uh, and you're very hands-on with it too you haven't kind of delegated it necessarily yeah well I have a great team I've always had I've always had really really good people around me I have been you know very fortunate with that and I I think that you know people that come on board here to have the luxury of working with beautiful flowers in such lovely um, spots with mm. always you know surrounded by by beauty mm. and people everyone who comes in here you know they always say oh it must be so lovely working with flowers all day there is a stress that comes with it of course it's yeah. quite hidden. I suppose it's like being a, a ballerina or a great chef or, you know, there's a lot of work. Like I feel like I'm a, um, you know, a floral Olympian <laughs> in a way because yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm constantly at it, you know, practicing, practicing, practicing all the time. Um, but, yeah, I do feel like it's, it's, um, it is relentless, but that's what I've signed up for and that's what I love about it. Mm. I don't ever feel like I... I do, I do get tired, of course. It's, it's a very exhausting, um, I suppose, if you want to call it a profession or a, a, an interest or a passion. Um, but yeah, to to keep keep everything looking as good as it possibly can. That's that's kind of what you sign up for. Is Valentine's Day hell for you, or do you love it? Well, in fact, this <laughs> Valentine's Day, <laughs> surprisingly, for the first time ever. We relocated, so we went to a, a different space. Mm-hmm. Complete. Um, we kept the shop running, but it was most people that know us on Valentine's Day will say that we take up pretty much the whole street, yeah. which is ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> I could. I think I can go back to that again. <laughs> um, 
So it was really luxurious. We were in a beautiful um, big warehouse with a huge cool room. Mm-hmm. I've never worked like this before and it was total luxury because I, um, I had the benefit of a loading dock mm-hmm. and we had everything was incredibly organized. We were able to systemize. We had all our cards pre-written. It was just a very, a very easy process to um, to have space. So our shop is so tiny; um, it's really beyond. I mean, I've been here now for twenty five years. So the perfumes to commemorate our twenty five year anniversary. I have to oh, wow. say that, even though it's actually going into twenty six years in October. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think just being in such a small shop, the beauty of it is you always feel like it's a floral cave, and you're, yeah. you know. In, you're enveloped by all these beautiful surround of nature, but practically and logistically, it's complete hell. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I can't dress that up. Yeah. It is absolute hell on wheels because yeah. you, you know, you, you just do not have the room to to systemize. So, yeah, I, I, I would, I, I wouldn't be able to go back to that again after having the luxury. Um, of guess, doing it the other way this year. I guess you're you're, you're the savior for a lot of people. Uh, relationships, you know, people. people have, <laughs> well, people this have is something everybody's wrong. very interested in talking about yeah. keeping things in the vault. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah. I have. I mean, I get to read everybody's cards. Well, yeah, pretty much because I handwrite most of them. I mean, some of the other girls do the handwriting too. Yeah, we're quite famous for that now. Yeah, Grace, and a lot of people Grace have is amazing, taken. Grace. Yes, true. So. I think there's a couple of different Grand Flora fonts now, yeah. but um, yeah, I think I think um, yeah, it's kind of you can't it's, say it's, it. it's very. I can't say too oh, much because I've got I've got to I've got to keep those things God, in the box. There's vault. a movie we do in see, that. We do see we do see movement movement in all yeah. sorts of ways, and oh. of course we're we're with people at their most. Um, their most emotional state. Yeah. So when people are getting married, when they've got a funeral, yeah. when they've had a baby, you know, when they're separating, when they're getting together, um, we're really <laughs> done something wrong. There's always a few raised eyebrows. Yeah. But um, yeah, we just we see patterns. I think with people and with you know, often with funerals, they come in threes, kind of thing. I love to be involved with funerals. I think it's really. It's a really important time to to nurture people and to understand people, and yeah, it's very different. The emotions. I mean, in an, on an ordinary day in here, it can go from you know a bridal meeting, which is full of love and elation and 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 happiness and and forward thinking, mm-hmm. to fifteen minutes later, I you know might be meeting somebody who's just come in off the street who wants to talk about me making a bespoke. Um, casket cover so the whole mood oh. and tempo has to change very quickly and it's not I don't often get warning for that so even this morning I had some people come in about a, a little wedding for 20 people and they were supposed to be in France getting married but oh. it's all changed and you know you hear people's stories which which is lovely but a lot of that just stays with me it's yeah. not something that I share I don't really even share it with my family it's just it's such a personal thing it's I suppose it's like working on a big film or like you, Vince, working on somebody's book or whatnot. Unless you've been involved, it's very hard to share the real emotion of what was felt at the time, the camaraderie, doing a big event, it's the same sort of thing. You all have to work extreme hours and there are so many things that happen along the way that change and 
Um, yeah. Unless you're galloping along together, it's hard to to share that with other people that weren't there at that time. So a lot of it, I, you know, I, I keep a lot of it to myself. I think it's, yeah. it's kind of yeah, it's quite very private. It's quite interesting, isn't it? You, you really fulfil an emotional need for people. Like, and I was just also just thinking, you know, what if there wasn't flowers? Like, I mean, it'd be a terrible world if there wasn't. But what would we be giving? What would we be doing? <laughs> yeah, well, well, that's true. I don't know. Food <laughs> is the next thing, but that kind of doesn't hit the same spot, does it? During during the lockdown, we were sending so many flowers because people. It's a language of its own. You know, mm. flower sending is, has its own language. Even yes. though you put a card with the flowers, they still mean more than that. Yeah, yeah. They still touch the heart deeper or further or in a different way than the words do. So that's why they say that, you know, flowers have their own language. That's why when there's a tragedy, you know, Lady Diana or the Lint Cafe or whatnot, there's oceans and oceans and oceans of flowers. It's just truly the only thing that completely can touch the heart mm. that those people you know the message that you want to you want to care and there is a big difference um between you know not all bouquets are the same or not all flower arrangements or you know you curated a certain kind of palette and your, oh, definitely. your approach is so different. I mean, it's like when you go somewhere in the world, like in London, I was always asking, who's the best florist? Who's the best, where do you get the best bagels from? Where do you get, you know, all the, where's the best coffee? Like you want to know in your city, where's the source? Because that's where you, you feel, once you connect with that, if you can afford to, of course, because it's not everyone can afford uh, to do that. But it's, um, the, 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 once you connect with someone like yourself and, and you know, the, the flowers that you produce and arrange, it just gives you just like, well, I mean, the average bouquet lasts, what, a couple of weeks, 10 days, a couple of weeks? Um, well, just, yeah, if you look after them. So you really have to, um, you know, you have to you have to get in there and do a bit of legwork yourself, I think, when, you, when you've got flowers. You've got to... I was going to ask you um, that. What do you have to do? Yeah. Well, you need to... Extend to, the life. You need to recut the stems and put them back into fresh water. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to so just nick a little bit off the end so that they can be reopened and take in fresh water. Um, you need to make sure all the stems are in water. Sometimes some some people you know don't realise the flowers have died because they haven't actually pushed the stems down into the water. Uh, and also keeping them away from heat, keeping them away from direct sunlight, um, not not having them too heavily cramped into a vase helps as well. Like spreading them out a little bit. And also it's nice if you can reconstruct the bunch. So a lot of people receive flowers and they'll just unwrap them and put them straight in a vase. Often it's a vase that doesn't quite suit that arrangement, which is not not always the, obviously the recipient's fault because that's all, all they have. But you can break the flowers up and put them into you know different vessels so you don't always just have to have the bunch still tied and put into water um, mm. as as it's arrived. You know, you can put it in put it in like that maybe for a day or two, and then get a bit adventurous and take the tie off it and you know pull it put it pull it apart so you can put it into two vases. Um, and when you do that, you can get to clean the flowers up so you can take away the the flowers that have gone a bit maybe a bit mouldy or they've got um, you know dirty leaves or they need a bit of picking over and cleaning up, and that, that's the difference. Like if I go into someone's house, even if they're not our flowers, of course, um, I think, oh, this person's 
you know, they're not they're not going to be a florist or really know how to do it perfectly, but they've cared. They've kind of, you know, they've gone over the leaves a few times or they've cha- they've made sure the, flat, the water's not murky. They've taken the pollens out of the lilies so they don't stain the flowers or just, mm. um, yeah, those it's a bit like food. Like you clean, you know, you clean the things that are not great off mm. and, um, and you make them look fresh again. Yeah. And also you can save things from that bunch. So, you know, if there's, Often when we make up flowers, there are a few quite transient things in the bunch that are look amazing when it first arrives. Mm-hmm. And then there are things in there that are going to be lasting a really long time, like, I don't know, gum nuts or beautiful leaves that you can actually keep, as you say, maybe for three or four weeks. Yeah. So don't throw the whole bunch out when the more transient flowers have gone. Yeah. Take those away and then keep the base and keep using that. You can even go to a florist and buy another bunch of something to put with that base. Nice. Um, yeah, there's a lot. I think there's a lot to be done. It's just people don't know or they feel nervous. Oh my God, it's come like that, and that's how it has to stay for the whole time. Mm. Has to stay in that arrangement, in that vase, and don't tamper with it. But in fact, you know, don't be afraid. Get in there and pull it all apart and have a bit of fun with it and yeah, change yeah. it all around. I think in this time of COVID, it's also has been a time when we people have rediscovered their homes and they're spending a lot more time in their home than before. And I've talked on this podcast before about the fact that a lot of people didn't see their home as a home um it was just very much kind of in and out go to work come back sleep you know it, it, like that but i think that i think another part that people have realized too and with you know going to parks and stuff like that is actually the importance of nature and we're all we're all animals um and we've seemed to over time become quite disconnected with with nature with the earth etc um, Absolutely. This, this, it's, yeah. it's such an important thing, isn't it? Maybe you could expand on that. I mean, you're, you're every day you're bringing nature into people's lives and into their homes. Um, yeah, well, um, we we did get a lot of people wanting plants. In fact, you know the beautiful white phalaenopsis orchids that I know you've, you've had from us before. They mm. were so popular during this time. We just could not keep up with the demand like because they are a really elegant plant with mm. just pure white or, you know, pink flowers, um, people were bringing, like, bringing their containers in to have them filled or replaced or, you know, wanting that plant was really, we just hardly could keep up with the demand. It was extraordinary. But also whenever we did have, like, just some green um, branches that were really durable, people were really going for those, that they, they could have that, as you say, like that bit of real nature inside their house to... Mm. To accompany them, that's how I felt it was. It's like, you know, you, you've got a bit of camaraderie with nature. You've got your own bit of nature with you. That's that's how I took it, that they were sort of, um, people in general just wanted that that force to be with them. Like they've got, it's not just all about the computer or, you know, the laundry or the whatever else you've got in your house, the food. It was, they really wanted to feel like they had a bit of nature mm. with them. Yeah. Yeah. And and I've heard from other florists too that they because we don't sell a lot of plants but their plant sales just went absolutely out of the roof like they were basically hardly selling any flowers we did sell a lot of flowers or do I should say because we're not out of it yet but um, these other florists that do sell a lot of plants we just could hardly keep up with the demand everyone wanted their little plants or their yeah, big incredible, plants incredible yeah yeah it's very animal really isn't it to have that yeah. you just want you want to be able to sort of um, 
yeah, coexist, recognise yeah. that it's really essential. And as you say, the parks as well, to be able to to lie under a tree or not that we were allowed to do that for very long, but just to, um, yeah, to hug a tree. We've mm. been part of this um, Caldor project, which is, which has been very nature-driven as well. So really trying to get people away from their computers and do mm. some, an activation with nature. Um, and our one, I know you participated, yours was very popular, Vince, of course. Um, oh, but just getting people... Oh, the circle. The, the cir- circle with nature. So it's creating a circle That's out right. of nature mm. and standing in the circle and making a wish. Yeah. And we, we got, we were inundated. We really did get huge response for our activation, more than I would have anticipated. Mm. Um, I think because ours was so simple, it was really achievable, mm. and you could do it with anybody, with kids or family, and didn't have to do anything that was, was too complex. Mm. Um, and to be able to create your own little area that you could actually stand in and think about making a wish um, really resonated with people because it's not very often that you get the chance to make a wish. No. And at the moment, that that's a really important thing to do. I think people really want to wish for something. So you hope, know, something. Hope. hope. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, Obviously, love, yeah. love is <laughs> what it's all about. Um, and we're constantly reminded on social media, everyone keeps saying love this, love that. And, and I think, you know, Love is what the make the world go goes around go around, um, but again, a, a flower, you know, a singular rose, of course, is a is a symbol of love. I don't know how how did that come about? Actually, the one single red rose. Hmm. Actually, don't not too sure about that one, Vince. I have to look that one up. Okay. All right. The meaning of um, I know that probably, I know probably that marketing. Is, probably marketing Valentine's Day. Mm. I bet you that's what <laughs> they probably had so many red roses they they needed to sell. They created a day for it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there are dif- you know different meanings for, for different flowers, definitely. But yeah, the red the red rose we don't we don't really sell a lot of red roses until Valentine's Day, although we mm. have some in here today. But um, yeah, I think you know flowers in general send the message of love. Like whether no matter what occasion, that's their job really is to send a message of mm. care and of love. So that's sort of their their mission, their job. And it's so um, important, isn't it, to to have that? I mean, it makes you feel it makes you feel full. Um, it'd be really interesting to understand how how other ways you get that same feeling because it's, it's such a wonderful feeling. Or yeah, the I fact th- that someone's thinking about you or someone's caring, you know, made that kind of effort. It really does bolster you at that moment in time. Definitely. It's very, it's incredibly touching. It really, it touches the core. I mean, I, I haven't received very many flowers in my time, but when I have, I really, it really, really moves me. Even if they're flowers that people are embarrassed about or are not <laughs> sure if I like them, <laughs> they oh always that's like, that's touch like my heart. for a chef. I mean, that would be so intimidating. <laughs> it, Oh God! Well, Gary once bought me a lovely bunch of flowers from the from the <laughs> from the service station oh. on Valentine's Day with even the even the the foil around the outside, like the foil um, cellophane, I can imagine. and a bit of curling ribbon. 
But um, just you know, I actually reaction. didn't know if he was joking or not. I, I was like, oh, is this <laughs> is he for real or is this a joke? Oh my god! But I still love them. I still love them because it's the gesture, isn't it? You know, it's that. It's the thought. Well, I think yeah, it's really yeah, beautiful. I think it's the thought, but I think it's. And, and this could be applied in in many in many kind of I guess um, in many ways in life is it's the incredible energy and thought and care and consistency that you put into what you do. It, people feel that it's not just the flowers; it's actually your effort and your passion that actually radiates from these flowers i mean it might sound no. but I, th- th- that's a big difference to go getting it from a gas station <laughs> you know, <it's> like, <laughs> <laughs> well i do i do know that that is i ha- i am um i have proof of that being fact yeah. that i even say to people that i'm working with you have to you have to feel that, like cooking a beautiful meal if you feel resentful or you don't feel enthusiastic or you don't feel some love towards that meal or the food of what you're preparing, it's not going to be very well received. Even if it's a very simple meal, if yeah. it's put together with care and love and um, and, and a genuine authenticity, yeah. everyone will pick up on that. doesn't matter how simple it is. And that's what I tell uh, You know, I try and encourage people in here all the time. You can't, um, you can't be feeling that kind of, negativity if you're going to work with flowers you really need you, you have to be in you that you feel mm. genuine about that that you you really do feel and I, I notice it if I'm working with a team I can notice if somebody's you know off off their game or not yeah not 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 on for that and yeah. and you can see it in the work you can feel it in the work you can Absolutely. It, it's palpable like you actually can touch the flowers it's so bizarre you can feel that that's not that's not being given what what it needs. It's not yeah. um, not enough. I think it's applicable yeah. in any in any career in anyone's life. Is just that being a being a hundred percent present and focused and understand understand that difference. Uh, yeah. You know, once you tap into that, it is hard and probably relentless, but it equally is phenomenally rewarding when you when you give. I know people are buying your flowers, but you're giving more. And the value of the flowers, you know, there is a transaction that's deeper than that. I think that, yeah, that- I think too with our work as well, because as you, you know, we've been discussing doing the flower market three times a week and selecting. Like I, that's something that I've only really come to terms with relatively recently. That even in that process, there's a touch. So if I sent one of the other people I work with to the market, it'll be a different touch. So it's that um, it's that it's the magic that that person gives it, isn't it? That you feel. So doing that selection is a really big process, and so not just putting the flowers together, but also selecting, you know, from the source, from the grower, from from the marketplace. Where even if it was food, it would be the same thing that you mm. have selected those items and you've cho- made a choice yeah. on somebody else's behalf, and that's part of what I get paid to do. Yeah. So I'm I'm feel very responsible about that, yeah. and I think the responsibility is a big part of of the persona. Yeah, so yeah, it, yeah. you know, and as you say, it could it could be anything, could be any field, but you have a sense of responsibility to see that across the line as mm. best you can, mm-hmm. and to give it part of your personality. I remember when we were at TAFE, um, 
and this is a very long time ago, but we had these we had these practicals where you had to all have exactly the same flowers. So, you know, five carnations, five pieces of baby's breast, um, whatever else, five pieces of leather firm, all pretty, you know, ordinary flowers, whatnot. But we would be given a demonstration and um, all of us, whatever it was, 15 students would do the same exact try and copy exactly the same as what we had been demonstrated with the same ingredients Mm. and at the end we'd all lay them down on the floor without names and the first day you know they were oh yeah whatever they all look like they look and the second day you could see oh so that looks like you know his work and that looks a bit more Mm. like her work and then obviously by the end you could really see um the personalities of each person in their work, even though we've been demonstrated the same, mm. had the same ingredients, there was, and I think about that all the time. It's that personality. I mean, some of them were absolutely mimicked to a complete perfection measurement, like to the millimeter. Mm. But that, so that that depicts that person's personality. They're a very good copyist, or, um, or lack of and, personality, or lack of personality. So that you know, then you can see. Well, that's their work. Mm. That's their stance. Um, and I and I just think about that all the time when I'm working with my team. Like I love people to have their own personality shine through and their own stamp come through their work. It doesn't have to be exactly what I've shown them or exactly what I think works. That's part of the the beauty of you know working with other creative people because we can learn from each other and get in you know and admire people's personality or their beautiful um, character. Yeah. Through the materials that they're working with. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Um, what about sustainability? Because obviously, in in you know the world is looking as a, as it should in terms of kind of the, the the global warming situation, and and certainly our, a lot of our clients are focusing on doing the right thing and reducing waste, etc. Um, you naturally <laughs> think that um, with flowers, there is it is natural that they're grown they're grown for being picked, etc. Right? Yes. Um, well, we try to buy local as best we can, so not so much, so many imported flowers, and that that's been easier at the moment because the imports are very expensive and they're also a bit harder to get at the moment, even though there are they are at the market. Um, but we did we have just before um, COVID hit and we were in the height of our events late last year, we started a program called Reflora which is um, a system that we set up and we're hoping people will come on board. Um, after our events, we offer to on-gift the flowers to charity. So we have a women's refuge that we have a relationship with okay. and we repackage the flowers in a very simple way. So we don't, we've learned that sending flowers on often is a real burden to hospitals and other places if they're not packaged properly. So you can't, they can't be seen to be dumped at a place, even though they're beautiful flowers. Often they don't have the resources to, you know, put them in vases or to take a lot of flowers. So we try and streamline it. So it's very easy. So I've got all these crates that I can put basically like small milk bottles and they come crated and they're very small gestures that we make up from the flowers that we've retrieved. And we charge the client, so usually it's with corporate or with weddings, um, we charge them a, a minimal fee, it's just a repackaging and delivery fee 
to pass those flowers on, and we actually had huge traction with that. We really, we really had um, have had so many people come on board and want to want to opt in to do that. That's great. Um, and and the recipients too. It's not only been the women's refuge, but other places we've delivered to uh, have been so grateful. We've had beautiful emails and phone calls thanking us. A lot of them. We didn't. They didn't even know we would be delivering them, but they were absolutely ecstatic to receive at nursing homes and mm-hmm. um, schools and um, various other places that we found like to receive these flowers. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of sort of one thing that I am trying to work out is my re and this would be great if anybody <laughs> if anybody wants to get in touch with me is all of our green waste because we have all day, every day, cutting mm-hmm. off the most beautiful foliages and green waste that's all grown at high production level, um, that we really should be composted in some way. We have tried to um, do this a few years ago with with a recycling kind of concept, but we found out that it, it wasn't really working. But I think that there should be somehow a system that can be built that collects a lot of that green waste, Great idea. and yeah, that it's it's somehow composted and and utilised in another way. So that's a little project that I've got <laughs> to the, attack. The botanical gardens just down the road is it? Is, would they? You know, like the only thing with them, they're quite protective because of infection. Oh, right. So you're actually not really allowed to take um, plants. You can take flowers, you know, for weddings and that sort of thing, but they're they're a little bit guarded in terms of um, biosecurity, I suppose you would say, like not yeah. not infecting their plants in any way. But I, but it's true. I could certainly ask them because they might have mm. an idea themselves of, of a system that they utilise. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll take I'll but, take it and I'll just put some water on it and make some my own perfume range, maybe. <laughs> Oh, maybe we could. I'm thinking we should be able to make some sort of mulch block. Oh, Got to do something like, with that. That's that's exciting. Gotta be, yeah, we need to make something that can be reused. You know, reused to put on the garden or. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Okay, let's have a think about this afterwards. Um, yeah, Saskia, I've got to go. <laughs> um, oh well, I, I have it's loved... been very nice to have yes. a chat since. I know I've chewed your ear off. No, <laughs> but, um, been thank you for having me. Um, I've been very, um, very excited to talk to you, and thank you always for everything you did with Flower Addict. We uh, would not have that title if it wasn't for you, Vince, uh, or a, that beautiful book. And it's, a, it's got it's travelled the world over, and I still get so many comments about that book. Oh, that is a book that really touched people's hearts. Wow, I mean the the, the incredible content. I mean you're prolific, so. Um, the content, the, the, the events, the, the bouquets, the energy behind everything you do is absolutely formidable. And I just think you're an absolute inspiration uh, to the world. Oh, my God, Vince, so, I'm blushing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm blushing, yeah. I'm blushing. Yeah. Well, I won't send you any flowers, well, that's for sure. Anyway. Oh, <laughs> it'll be my turn to send you some, I'm sure of that. All right, but Saskia. I know you've been getting beautiful tulips lately. Oh, I love your tulips. They're beautiful, they're beautiful yeah. even when the petals fall off eventually. And, and just, um, yeah, they've been exquisite. All yeah. coming from Melbourne. Yeah, yeah. Cool. All right, Saskia, thank you so much. All right. Thank and you. Hopefully see you soon. Thank, thank you. you. Thank Take you, Vince. Thanks right. so much. Bye-bye. Okay, bye.
Thank you all for listening. If you want to find out more about Designing Your Life, head over to our website at designyourlife.com.au or on our social media at Frost Collective. If you enjoyed this episode and found it inspiring, please don't forget to review or subscribe. 